We're talking about life in the Spirit and uh, that that really is the normal Christian life, but uh, many Christians don't walk in the Spirit, which consequently means they're living the abnormal Christian life, right? And today what I want to talk about, uh, you see the title there, Clinging to Life. I want to talk to you about uh, what it means to abide in Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. You ever feel exhausted? Anybody in here ever feel exhausted? Just raise your hand real high. It's probably most of us, right? You ever feel uh, overextended? Anybody feel, I got too many irons in the fire. I got too many things going on. Uh, you ever feel burnt out? Anybody ever feel burnt out? You know? Um, and uh, have you ever thought to yourself, you know, where I am right now, the things of God that used to bring fulfillment to me are just kind of motion. I'm just kind of going through the motion with things and, and instead of the fulfillment that I used to know. If you answered yes to any of those questions, as I guess probably most of us in this room did, then I believe today's message is going to be really helpful uh, to you. I want you to listen very carefully. Uh, it's important now to note that when I talk about like uh, being overextended or exhausted, those things... Um, those things don't reflect life in the spirit. If you're exhausted, you're overextended, um, you know, if you're emotionally uh, feeling like you're in chaos, those things do not reflect life in the spirit. But there are things that we can do about those kinds of things. And I believe that, that one of the reasons so many Christians are worn out, uh, physically exhausted, and even emotionally exhausted, I, I really believe is because of one thing more than anything else, and that is that they have substituted activity for Christ for abiding in Christ. Does that make sense? They've substituted activity for Christ uh, instead of abiding in Christ. Now, my message today is not an attempt to rearrange your, your activities or to adjust your schedule in any way. Rather, my goal in this message is to change your focus. And in the passage that we're going to read today, Jesus emphasizes that our focus has to be on abiding in him. Now, he's talking to his disciples, and he's about to be arrested and tried and then crucified. He knows he's about to leave them. They don't understand while he's saying that. In fact, this is the night. This is the occasion where uh, later on he's going to be arrested. And they don't quite understand what all is coming for them in not only the days that follow, but in the, the years that were following. So Jesus is trying to kind of get them uh, into a, a focus where they will learn how to abide in him no matter what they're facing. I can't think of a year that we need that message more than the year we're in. Amen? Where we need to really learn to focus on what it means to abide in Christ. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me as we read uh, uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 15 of John's gospel. This is what he said, I am the true vine, my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers, and, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father's loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Father, would you speak to us this morning the deep truths of abiding? Help us understand the importance of abiding, how to abide, and how to live life in your spirit. We thank you for your word. Use it in our hearts and our minds now. Teach us, instruct us, and transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, as I said, this, is, uh, this passage is a part of what we call the final discourse of Jesus, or the Olivet Discourse um, uh, of Jesus, the, the last uh, kind of instruction period that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. Uh, and and uh, he's getting them ready for his departure, and he's also getting them ready to live without his physical presence and instead live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll notice in verse 31 of chapter 14, he's, this is part of this uh, discourse that's going on before they go to the Mount of Olives. And, and he says this to them uh, after he's been talking for them. He says, all right, let's arise and go from this place. And he's going to take them on a journey. He's going to take them out from where they are uh, and down to the Kidron Valley and then across uh, the valley and up toward the, the Mount of Olives. I've been on that route many times over the years, and it, it takes you through where there were a lot of ancient vineyards, well-manicured vineyards that were very productive, and eventually it would lead to the Garden of Gethsemane, where, well, we all know about the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would pray, and then he would finally be arrested. But before they get to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, there are these vineyards, and most likely, Jesus stops in one of these vineyards, and he pulls up one of the, the, the branches on, on one of these manicured vines, and it's full of grapes, and he shows them this as an illustration, and then he begins to talk to them about abiding. He uses that as an illustration to help them understand, and the, the, the instructions he gives them are so that they'll be able to live successfully after he's gone. Well, those same instructions that he gave them still work in our life if we're going to walk in the Spirit. And so I want to share that with you. Now, remember what the picture is. You have the vine. The vine is Christ. You have uh, the branches. The branches are those who have trusted Christ. They are the believers. That's us. And then you have the vine dresser. That's God. He's the one that, that handles the vine and keeps, it, uh, uh, keeps the branches um, uh, pruned and taken care of. Those are kind of the, the main uh, uh, parties in this story. Now, the word abide in the Greek is important for you to understand. Here's what that word means. It means to remain in or to dwell with. So when Jesus uses the word abide, what he's doing is he's saying, uh, what you must learn as my followers, is to remain in me and let me remain in you. L dwell with me. It is the idea of dwelling with someone for a long time. And so that's what he's saying. You've got to dwell with me. And so I want to give you several insights on what abiding is based on the passage here. The first thing I want you to see is the abiding purge. We see it in a couple of places mentioned here. We see it in verse 2, every branch that does not bear fruit. He prunes, he purges, he cuts, he clips. And uh, this is about discipline. 
uh, the discipline of God that he has to bring into our life. Now, when God disciplines us, it is not punishment. God is not disciplining you to punish. God is not getting revenge and discipline. What God is doing is correcting. What God is doing is to improve us. Orchard experts say that occasionally a fruit tree will give all its energy to growing wood and leaves, but little or no energy to bearing fruit. As I was working on the message, I discovered this, and uh, I don't understand it. I'll just tell you. But here's what farmers say, and if that's, if that's the case, you've got this fruit tree, and it seems like all it's focused on is growing wood and leaves, but it's not producing fruit. And so we are told that they will sometimes take an ax and they'll make a deep gash in that tree somewhere near the base of the trunk. And for reasons I don't understand, the next season that tree will produce great fruit because it focuses, it shifts its focus, I guess, to doing what it's supposed to do. Well, oftentimes God will use something like, a, uh, like an ax in our life, something painful, uh, which is for the purpose of purging or pruning us so that, that we will stop channeling our energies into the pursuit of temporal things and instead begin to focus on the eternal things. Sorrow and tribulation and sickness and, and, and ill health and disappointments, they have a way of stimulating spiritual growth and fruitfulness. And so our attention, God wants to redirect toward eternal things. That's why he disciplines us, because he wants us to produce the fruit of righteousness that will bring glory to him. Listen to this passage. In fact, write, write it down, and then I'm going to share it with you. Hebrews 12, 5 to 7. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or daughters of God? And then he goes on to say, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For, listen, for the Lord loves, uh, for the, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That may be the best concise passage on this whole idea of God disciplining. And it teaches us some things about the discipline or the pruning or the purging process of God. It teaches us, for example, that God is the source of discipline in our life. As a heavenly father, he's the source of discipline in your life. And sometimes he will use things that are sharp some things that feel painful, not out of vengeance, but out of a desire for us to produce more fruit and to shape our lives. I'll tell you, it, these verses also teach us that God's discipline is evidence that we belong to him. He says, don't despise it because when God is disciplining you, what it proves is that you belong to him. It, it proves that you are a child of God when God disciplines you. It teaches us a third thing, and that is that God disciplines all. He disciplines all believers. Nobody's exempt from discipline of God. And the only way we would be exempt is if we were perfectly um, uh, modeled after Christ, right? So he's trying to shape us into the image of Christ. Nobody that belongs to God uh, is exempt from discipline. And then it teaches us this, that God always disciplines in love. So those whom he loves, he disciplines. Those he disciplines in love. God always disciplines in love. I want to tell you, I've said this uh, a couple of times here recently, but God is for you. 
God is for you. You may be going through some spiritual discipline right now, and you say, well, I don't know what I've, I've done. It, it may not be something overt that you've done. It just may be God saying, I'm trying to shape you a little bit. There, there's some, it's not about what you've done. It's about me, me shaping you, and I'm trying to uh, shape you just a little bit, all right, because I love you. God is for you. He really is for you, and he wants you uh, to know and understand uh, the, the power of his presence in your life and the power of the Holy Spirit with you. Deuteronomy 8, 5 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So remember, God disciplines to, deve- to develop your spiritual life. All right, here's the second thing I want you to see. I want you to see the abiding process. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Do you know that's a command? And that means this, if that's a command, abide in me, that means if you don't abide in him, what are you doing? You're being disobedient because that's a command. The abiding process, you see, is essential to power. People want power, spiritual power. Well, when you abide in Christ, you are tapped into the source of spiritual power. The Holy Spirit flows through us as we abide. And without that power, he says, you can do uh, nothing. Think about this. If you, a, branch, a branch by itself is useless. That's why branches that are broken off from the tree or branches that are broken off from the vine, if you put them on the ground, they become useless. They are dead or they are dying. So it has to stay connected to the vine because the vine is the master source of power to the branches. Without the vine, there is no power. Does that make sense? The vine supplies sap to the, to the, uh, the branch, and the branch lives. And as the sap moves through the, the branch, the, the purpose of, its, of the branch is fulfilled. It produces, it, that sap pushes fruit out. I mean, that's the, the easiest way I know to, to explain it to you. It's all about dependence. It's all about resting in him. And, and that means uh, two or three things for us. It means we have to recognize that we are branches and not the vine. We, we get ourselves in trouble when we start trying to be our own power source. Hello? And see, a branch doesn't have power in itself. And that's the analogy that Jesus wants us to get is you have no, apart from me, what does he say? You can do nothing. I am the vine. I'm the source of power for you. We have to recognize that we are branches. We are not the vine. No, there is no existence without the vine. We also have to recognize that our connection to the vine is the source of our nutrition and our life. Uh, a branch on the ground draws no, no life. It draws no nutrition. It is the vine that feeds the branch. You say, well, so how do I maintain that connection to, to the vine? How do I, I maintain it where life is flowing into me from God? Well, let me give you three simple practical ways to do it. Number one, read the Bible. I'll talk about that a little bit more when he talks about prayer. He says, and you know, and the, my words abide in you. You want to stay connected to the vine, read the Bible. It is the inspired uh, word of God. It is alive, and it challenges, it instructs, it corrects us, it encourages us. If you want to know, uh, if you want to know what God thinks, stay in his word, okay? That's one simple thing. So that's why you need to make sure you protect some time in God's Word. And by the way, you say, well, aren't we in God's Word? We sure are. But you also need to feed yourself sometime, right? I mean, you need to feed yourself. You need to be able to do that. Our our grandson is now learning to use a a spoon. It's funny because he misses himself. But he's trying, and that's a good thing because there comes a point in time where Christians ought to feed themselves, 
See? And so if you want to stay connected, you've got to learn to feed yourself. How do you feed yourself? Well, one of the things is you stay in His Word. A second thing you need to do is pray. Prayer keeps you in contact, right? It's the communication channel. So you read the Word of God, you, you uh, uh, discipline yourself there, and then you talk to Him. You, and by the way, I'm not talking uh, about when you're out there packed in traffic on the circle. I'm, I'm pray. That's, that's the time I pray because there are a lot of nuts on the circle, so I pray. That's not what I'm talking about. I will pray. Pray there. You can pray anywhere, okay? But do you have some time, some, some definite time, a place where you can just talk to God? You can get quiet. And, and by the way, prayer is not just me jabbering at God. It's, sometimes it's just quiet listening. See? But it's connection. It's the way, how do you stay connected to the vine? You stay in His Word. What does He have to say? You stay in communication with Him in prayer. And then, listen, third, here's the third thing. You obey. So when, you, when the Spirit of God prompts your heart, you obey the prompting. Uh, so you, you send, why? You're connected through the Word. You're connected in prayer. The Spirit of God is, uh, is empowering you, and so He prompts you. He's going to point you and prompt you. It's very important if you're going to stay connected to the vine that when the Spirit of God prompts you, you obey His voice. All right? So we recognize our connection to the vine is the source of our spiritual nutrition life. And those are three ways to help us stay connected. But we also recognize that our abiding in Him, listen, is resting in Him. Abiding in Him is not working to abide. Now, I told you that the word abide means to remain with or to dwell among. In other words, to remain in the presence of God or, or to dwell in the presence of God uh, for an extended amount of time. Listen, this word also denotes resting in the Lord. It's used no less than 11 times in this passage. And rest is not the same thing as just simply being spiritually lazy. We have to guard against that, by the way, and we can't confuse the two. There are, there are many people who are just, listen, they're just lazy spiritually. They want all the benefits of the vine, but they're lazy spiritually. And so we have to be careful. We, look, don't use the lines that go like this. Well, I'm just, uh, I'm just, uh, trusting, I'm just trusting God. And, and be careful that you don't say, well, I'm just resting in Him as a spiritual excuse for being spiritually lazy. Now, I want you trusting in God. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But be careful that that doesn't become an excuse for spiritual laziness. Yeah, I'm abiding in Him. I'm just, I'm just waiting and trusting in Him. Spiritual rest in God is about reliance on Him, not about laziness for Him. There's a rest, however, uh, that comes when we allow His Spirit to rule over us. In other words, it's not like you say, I've got to work myself into rest. But when you relax and you recline on him, guess what you discover? Wow, he has the ability to bring rest in my soul. So when I remain in him, listen, I'm doing something. I'm not remaining in me. When I'm remaining in him, when I'm dwelling in his presence, guess what? Then I, I, I'm not concerned about me. I'm not trusting in my agenda. I'm submitted to his will. When I'm resting and remaining in him, I am not dependent on my strength. I am relying on the strength of the Spirit in me. When I am resting in him, I'm not, listen, I'm not anxious about God's plans. I'm confident about God's control. So I don't have to live in anxiety and with uh, worry because uh, my confidence is in 
the control of God. And only when we abide do we find that kind of rest. And in order to do that, we sometimes have to pause long enough and be honest and examine what we're doing and find out whether God is in what we're doing or listen to this or if he's even interested in what we're doing. All right, you got that? Number three, I want you to see the abiding product. The abiding product, verse 5 and verse 8, talk about bearing fruit and how it pleases God. In verse 5, we can't bear fruit apart from Christ. In verse 8, the Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. We are to be fruit-producing followers. And if we are not, listen, something is wrong. We're either spiritually sick or we're spiritually dead because we are designed, Jesus is teaching us, to abide in him and subsequently produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, which is internal fruit as well as external uh, fruit. Fruit is the evidence that the life of God is operating through us. Look again at verse 8. It says that we glorify God when we bear much fruit, and it says something else. And by bearing fruit, we prove something. It says we prove that we are his disciples. You see, fruit is evidence of our relationship to the vine. It, it is evidence of our relationship to God. We have... Uh, in our, at our home, we have a natural backyard. Y'all know what a natural backyard is? It's a, I thought it was a maintenance-free backyard when we bought the house about 15 years ago. I thought, this is going to be great. This is, this is lawn that I don't have to take care of back here. Trees everywhere, lots of trees, big trees. And I thought this would be great because the only thing that I'll have to cut or worry with will be the front yard and the side. Boy, was I wrong. You know, you think, and I, would, I tried to convince my wife, too, you know, it's a natural backyard. So when limbs and all, when they fall, they're organic. And, you know, if you leave them there long enough, they will decay and they will return to the earth from whence they came. I tried to persuade her with that. She, was, she didn't buy it. She said, it looks terrible. You just need to pick them up and take them to the street. Well, you know, every time we have a storm, I mean, I have a yard full of dead limbs some of them are big and some of them are but they're everywhere in fact it's caused me to hate storms i hate them because i know the next day i'm going to be hauling limbs to the street and sometimes it looks like i'm, I'm not kidding it looks like a beaver dam i mean they'll be taller than me and longer than me because i've laid down to measure but uh, but the, I thought it'd be so wonderful to have a, a natural backyard. I don't think that anymore. The next house, if we ever buy another house, if I ever sell this one and get another one, I'm not getting a natural anything. In fact, I don't want any natural on my property. I've hauled too many limbs. But you know, I've noticed something. In some of the trees on my property, they will have dead limbs. Y'all have some trees like that? The, 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 there's a dead limb still attached to the tree, a living tree, but a dead limb on it. And if you look carefully, you'll see sometimes that the dead limb still has leaves on it, but there'll be brown leaves, dead limb, dead leaves. Have you ever noticed that? This is the season we call fall, and we call it fall because what happens at this time of year? The leaves fall, Right? I won't tell you what I think about leaves falling. But I've noticed something strange. All the leaves can fall off the tree, except they won't fall off the dead limbs. You go look. It's your dead limbs. 
And notice that there will still be brown leaves on your dead. All the other leaves can fall off, but the dead leaves don't fall off. Do you know why that is? There's something that causes leaves to fall. It is the sap from the tree or the vine in this case. As it moves through a, a limb that is alive, guess what it does? It pushes the old out. And it replaces it with, if it's a fruit tree, fruit. And if it's just a tree that produces leaves, it'll rep replace with new leaves in time. So the sap is at work. When you see a limb and when the leaves have fallen, you don't go, that's a dead tree. You go, that's a living tree. The sap has pushed the leaves out. The power has come through and pushed the leaves out. New leaves will come, except for that old ugly brown branch up there with the brown leaves. They didn't come off. My wife had a suggestion. She said, those look funny. Why don't you climb up there and pull all those leaves off? Aren't you glad you don't have to do that? Think about it. If you had to do that with the regular limbs every year, oh, it's fall. I've got to climb up there on all those trees and pull those, those leaves off. But we don't have to. And see, that's a perfect illustration of being tapped in to the vine. It pushes the old out of your life and allows Christ to do a new redeeming work inside of you. That's how the normal Christian life should be lived. The branch connected to the trunk or the, the vine, the sap flowing and supplying life that's moving out the old, constantly replacing it with new fruit. It should be happening spiritually in our lives. And if we abide in Christ, it does. Now, if I said, if there's no fruit being produced in and from your life, there's a major problem with your connection to the vine. If there's no fruit, Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that's internal, and then there's external fruit. We'll talk about this stuff in a later message. But if there's no fruit being produced in your life, listen, that should give you some pause for concern. Because the Spirit doesn't just exist dormant. The Spirit is life and power. It is the sap from the vine. It is the presence of God at work in your life. And the fact is, if you are not abiding in Christ, the life you'll live is a life of self-reliance, deadness, religious motions, and emptiness. Life in the Spirit is a life filled with fruit. And so you, you and I have to be honest and ask ourselves, is, is there fruit happening in, in my life? Number four. I want you to note the abiding prayer, verse 7. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, this is one of the most misquoted and misused verses, I think, in the New Testament. In fact, it's often looked at as kind of a blank check verse. Ask whatever you want. The Bible said, ask, ask Jesus for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. But it doesn't take in the conditions. There are conditions here for that prayer to be answered. And there's a direct connection between, listen, how we pray, our abiding connection to Christ, and his abiding word in us. Now hang with me because this is very important for you to understand what Jesus is saying to them. I believe much of our frustration in prayer is a result of being connected to Christ but not dependent on Christ. And so we don't know how to pray. 
And our prayer is ineffective because our relationship connection to the vine is very weak. And so what we end up doing is praying kind of hit or miss prayers because we don't have a clue what God's will is. Now, how do you discover what his will is so you can pray and ask whatever you wish? You are connected to the vine. Your connection, remember what connection is? Remember what abiding is? It is to dwell in the presence of. When you're connected to the vine, the vine, the, the, the power of God is operating in you. And guess what the power of God connects to? It connects to the Word of God. Did you notice in this verse, it said, if you abide in me and my Word abides in you, then you will ask whatever you want and it will be done. Now, here's what's going on. This is all about proximity. Uh, Have you ever noticed that the more you hang around people, specific people, the more you know what they like and don't like? Have y'all noticed that? How about to those who are married? Have you noticed that? The more you dwell in the presence, or they in your presence, the more you learn to understand what your likes and dislikes are, right? I'll tell you something else. The more you dwell in the presence of someone, the more you know what their will is. Right? I know what their will is. I know what they want. I know what they want of me. Y'all with me? Y'all tracking with me? Now watch this. Why is that true? Is it just because you're in their presence? Yeah, a little bit. But mainly it's because if you dwell in the presence of someone long enough, you're going to know what they want because they're going to tell you what they want. They're going to use their words to tell you. You following it now? Look at verse 7. If I abide in you, my words abide in you. What is he talking about? If, if you dwell in my presence and you, you stay there, then guess what? You're going to know my will because my word is going to abide in you. And if my word abides in you, then you can ask whatever you wish. Guess what your prayer is going to do? It's going to be lined up with the will of Christ that has been revealed to you by his word. Does that make sense? And then we don't have to pray, hit, or miss prayer. This is not a blank check prayer. This is not, hey, gosh, man, I'm a Christian. I can ask whatever I want. Well, you can, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about abiding in him, dwelling in his presence, knowing his word, because he's going to communicate in his presence. He's going to communicate his word through his word, and you're going to know how to pray because you're going to be in line with his will, right? So in light of abiding in Christ, we're, we're, we're not given a blank check, but we'll ask whatever because we're in agreement, having lived in his presence and having taken in his word, we're, we're consistent in our prayers with what he wants. So if you always want to pray in accord with the will of God, abide in Christ and operate your life on the basis of his word. Number five, 
I want you to see the abiding passion. Verse 10, this is so good. Verse 10, look at this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That is agape, unconditional love in the Greek. Uh, No strings attached. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is a perk. This is a perk of abiding. What happens is the more you dwell or remain in his presence, guess what happens? The more you begin to understand the depth of his love for you. I'm convinced that, that most Christians don't understand how deeply they are loved. As I said earlier, God really is for you. Most Christians don't understand how deeply they are loved. Many believers acknowledge the love of God, but they struggle to live with the awareness of his love for them. Let me say it this way. It's sometimes easy to say, well, yeah, I know God loves Chuck. You know, because God is love. The Bible says God is love. And I know God loves Chuck. But personally, a person may struggle and go, but I don't know if he really loves me. You know why we do that? Because the devil tells us that we're losers. And we listen to him. It's amazing. The devil tells us, yeah, but remember, you remember that? Go back there. You remember that? Why would God love you? Uh, Yeah, he loves Chuck, but why would he love you? I mean, you got so much junk and so much garbage in your life. How could he ever love you? That's what the devil says. It's not what God says. In fact, God says just the opposite. And the the difference uh, that abiding makes will bring a new awareness of his love. I, I think all of us would agree to something, and that is there is a massive difference between knowing about love and experiencing love personally. Would you agree with that? There's a huge difference between uh, knowing about love and actually experiencing it personally. For example, John 3.16. How many of you know John 3.16? You know, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have e- everlasting life. The most popular verse in the Bible, John 3.16. But it's a powerful verse, too. And most of us, when we either quote that verse or hear that verse, most of us would, 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 would say, oh, yeah, I, theologically, I understand what that says. We might even say, uh, philosophically, I understand what that verse uh, says. I understand the broad meaning of that verse, that God is a God of love, and he loves the entire world. But it's only when we receive Christ and abide in him that we begin to understand personally what that verse means. You see, we can generically say, yeah, God loves the whole world. Theologically, God loves the whole world. And yet miss the fact that that verse is talking about me too. And then only as we abide in Christ do we begin to, to experience it relationally, where we move from, well, God loves you and God loves you, and suddenly we say, and God loves me personally. Abiding in Christ, you see, moves us from just having a knowledge of God's love. It moves us to the practical experience of knowing God's love personally. And that's a perk of abiding. The more you abide with him, the more, you know, you understand the depth of his love. Here's the last thing I want to show you. I want you to see the abiding purpose he speaks of. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. Where is joy found? Well, I can tell you it's not found in unbelief. Voltaire was an infidel of the highest order. And he wrote these words. I wish 
I, have, I had never been born. So, so joy is not found in unbelief, is it? Is joy found in, in money? No, joy is not found in money. Jay Gould, a, a legendary American billionaire, he had all of that. He said he could never spend what he had. But when he was dying, listen to what he said, and I quote, he said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. So where is real joy found? If it's not found in those kinds of, uh, of things, where is real joy found? The answer is simple. It is found, listen, in Christ alone. In Christ alone. And Jesus tells the disciples why he has told them about abiding. Look back at verse 11. These things, meaning the things I've just told you about abiding, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, I just told you all this stuff about abiding because if you get this abiding stuff, you're going to experience a kind of joy that you've never had before. And so it's not a matter of, of happiness because there's a big difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is circumstantial. See, it, I, I'm happy if everything's going right or everything works out or this thing happens. Or, uh, so, so happiness is circumstantial. Joy is not. You can have this kind of joy, a full kind of joy that Jesus is talking here. You can have that no matter what's going on in your life. And Jesus knew that they were about to face some unusual things. He knew the road ahead for them. And so what he wanted them to do is to learn how to abide in him so that they could live with the, with the joy of the Lord regardless of what they faced in the future. And, and the word full that's used in the passage here, let me give you an illustration of, of what that word means. The best way to describe it would be for me to take like an empty glass and sit it on the, the podium here and say, this empty glass I'm going to fill up. And I took a, a garden hose, turned it on, and I, I, I began to fill the glass. And at some point in time, the glass gets full, right? But instead of turning the, the faucet off, I just let it run. And what happens? The, I just keep it in there, and the water just keeps running over, doesn't it? Over and over. And you're saying, wow, the water's going everywhere. The, the, the glass is full. Well, that's the picture when he says, my joy is, I want you to have my joy, and it's full joy. It is a picture of a joy inside that just keeps on coming and just keeps on coming, and it's unrelated to anything that's going on in life, and it's just overflowing. It's abundant. It's that full. That's what he's talking about, and he said, I've told you these things so that you can have that kind of joy operating in your life. Isn't that cool? It just overflows. It just keeps going, and what he's saying is, my joy, if you'll abide in me, my joy will replace the emptiness of, that the world offers, the temporary satisfaction. This is a foreign concept to so many believers. Peter said it this way. He said in chapter 1, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And listen, he says, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. What is the joy of the Lord? Well, the joy of the Lord is a joy that transcends your circumstances. It's not affected by your circumstances. Everything can be crashing or caving in around you, and the joy of the Lord can still be yours. And I, I want to tell you something. I'm not saying that as a theory. I've experienced that. 
I don't have time to talk and tell you and give you illustrations, my personal illustration, but I've experienced that kind of joy in the midst of catastrophe. What kind of joy is it? It is a joy that provides calm in the storms. It is a joy that produces peace in uncertainty. The joy of the Lord is a joy that is found in deep fellowship with God. The world doesn't give this kind of joy. And listen, the world can't take it away. It transcends that. That's why Paul called it a joy unspeakable. You can't describe it, but you can experience it. By the way, if you've ever experienced it, you know it. The joy of the Lord I don't know why I'm, I, I, I don't know why I'm full of joy, and joy doesn't mean you're walking around kicking your heels saying, "This is so fun." But it is a, a joy in your soul that, by the way, brings a peace in your soul. It's joy that comes from abiding in Christ. He said, I've told you these things. I've told you these things about abiding in Christ, so that you will abide in Christ, and so that my joy will become your joy. There was a third century man, and he was uh, anticipating death. And he penned a letter to a, a dear friend of his, and these are his last words in that letter. Listen to it, and I quote, It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I've discovered in the midst of this bad world a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their soul. They have overcome the world. And then he writes and closes, These people are the Christians, and I am now one of them. I want to ask you, you one of them? Are you one of them? There can be no abiding if there is no spiritual life. And if there, there can be no spiritual life if there's not been spiritual birth. You must be born again to abide in Christ. Have you been? Will you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking about in this place. Whether you're joining us by live stream, people all over the country, in this place, can you say in your heart of hearts, I know that I've been born again. If not, I want you to pray a prayer from your heart, something like this. It goes, Lord, thank you for dying for me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. And right now, I invite you to come in. I, I want to be born again. I want to be born from above. I invite you in to be my Savior, to be my Lord and Master. I thank you that you've promised that if I would call on you, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that you would save me. I want to begin my spiritual life. I don't want to just live through religious motions, Lord. I want to abide in you, so I want to be born again. Father, there are others in this place today, perhaps, that have been born again, but they hadn't been abiding. I pray, Father, that you will use your word to help them begin the process again of abiding in you, selling out and emptying themselves of self so that you can fill them with your Holy Spirit. 
to, so they can draw life from the vine instead of trying to draw life from themselves for you. And I pray today, Father, that you would call them to fresh dependence on the vine so that the life-giving sap, the Holy Spirit in them, can begin to produce his fruit. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you have provided a means not just of our existence, but of our abundance in Christ. Let us know and experience and walk in the joy of the Lord. And Father, let us remain in you. Let us know the power. Let us walk in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.